0: Tonight, the Fed leaves interest rates alone. A warning about trying to beat the market, and yep, uh, we're going to answer your questions when you ask the advisor. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by All Financial. I'm Steve Sprovec, along with Steve Ruby. We got a great show, so let's get rolling here. The Fed, okay, and no news is good news, I suppose. The Fed uh, has been meeting uh, over the past two days. No change in interest rates.
1: Yeah. In March 2022, it was zero. Now, I know. That yeah, wasn't that long ago. It really wasn't. Now it's at 525 to 5.5%. So 11 hikes over that period of time. And uh, again, we, we pause. We've seen that a couple of times now. Problem is inflation. It, it's running at three point seven percent year over year. We've talked about this recently. That's largely due to higher oil prices, but the core rate sits at four point three percent. Yeah. Now remember the core rate that strips out energy and food prices, which are more volatile, and it's the Fed's preferred measure for inflation because it provides a better look at trends.
0: Right. But you and I both drive. You and I both eat. And so it's um, still yeah. It's still a big deal because in August the overall inflation rate jumped. It went from 32 to 3.7%. And that's that's really what you and I are paying, okay? Maybe yes. the Fed doesn't pay attention to it, but your wife, I, my wife, when she goes, I'm not allowed to go shopping. When, when my wife goes shopping, um, she tells me all the time, yeah, I paid six bucks for this uh, two weeks ago, and now it's 10. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And this is a win on inflation, But the core rate did come down, and that's what the Fed pays attention to because it tells the Fed what we're doing by raising interest rates is indeed slowing down the economy, which is indeed slowing down inflation. And if it's important to them, it ultimately does affect you and me, of course, on core inflation, because when they raise interest rates, next time we got to buy a car, if you have to change houses and get a mortgage, whatever you have to do where you're borrowing money, it's going to cost you more with the Fed raising interest rates. So this this is kind of good news that that the Fed did not raise interest rates. But we're not done yet. I, I, I mean, the Fed is always keeping the door open, and I appreciate this. There's not a lot of BS. They, they say, if the data changes, our policy will change. Yep. And they always leave that door just cracked a tiny bit for additional rate increases. And, and I, I think, you know, there's still a chance they might do one more this year.
1: I mean, that's what we've been saying all along. That's what, you know, every time Andy Stout, chief investment officer of Allworth Financials in the studio, I ask him the question, what's going to happen next? Because we're always talking about interest rates right now. Yeah. yeah. It's top of mind for everybody. Has has the Fed gone too far? Are they going to push us into a recession? Do we have the soft landing? What's going to happen and at this point, they're they're uh, in a holding pattern to wait and see yeah. how these previous interest rates have had an effect on inflation. And yeah, maybe we go up again uh, later this year. Maybe we don't. But you, you shared some of the, the the downsides of of higher interest rates. Okay, I, I, I want to shine light on on maybe some of the positives. Hey, and there that, are some. Yeah. yeah, that that hopefully our listeners are taking advantage of. Uh, the first one is when you have cash on the sidelines. If you're fortunate enough to have cash on the sidelines doing nothing in a regular old-fashioned savings account there are opportunities to get yeah. your money working a lot harder right now with very little risk and you and I were
0: just talking to this with some people yesterday you know they they did what we asked them to they've got an emergency fund which is was substantial when we were talking to them And you asked them, what kind of interest rate are you getting? Uh, Probably next to nothing.
1: 0.01%. They
0: named the bank, and yeah, uh, it's a very well-known local bank, and it is literally almost 0%. And, And their assumption was, well, everybody's like that. No, Maybe two years ago, they were. Not
1: today. Yeah, there's, there's organizations out there that are racing to to raise their rates on high-yield savings they want, accounts. They want your money. To steal your, your business from Absolutely. these other banks. Absolutely, yeah. And it's a good time to consider that and explore because all you do is you move your money to a different bank account. Yeah. Now you're getting 4%. Yeah, let, let's talk about that a little bit. A money market. A, a money market at a
0: bank is basically zero risk. It, at, at a bank, it's going to be insured, and it's a dollar a share. It's a, it's a high-yield savings account you can get that money anytime it's not locked up like a cd a money market is as liquid as a savings account at the bank it's really just the bank saying okay it's got it can't be a dollar it, it probably has a minimum of you know five thousand bucks but whatever if you're keeping a substantial amount in, in a savings account for emergency purposes Talk to your bank about what their money market pays. It's worth a phone call. Some banks are taking advantage of the fact that the average person doesn't change their banking relationship for over 20 years. Yes. Exactly. You know, you get you, you get in a routine, you get in a groove. Well, all my bills are coming coming out of this account. And, and this, that, and the other thing. It's worth it if one bank is paying three and a half percent on a zero risk money market account and another bank is paying. 0.1%. And literally, we're seeing those differences.
1: Yeah, because you're guaranteed to slowly l- lose purchasing power on those dollars. If you're just sitting yeah. on the sideline, yeah. not taking advantage of some of the side effects of the Fed kicking up interest rates, you're making a mistake.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I don't want to put some scare into people about brokerage firms and brokerage money markets because they, they're not guaranteed by uh, to the same degree as a bank money market is. When you have a money market at a brokerage firm, technically it can vary from a dollar a share although it it, it almost never happens in, yeah you know but if you're willing to go that route you might even get better than three percent we've seen some uh, online banks that are insured that are not brokerage money markets we've seen them up close to five percent
1: that's correct that is and and now the the other side of the coin here is we, yeah. we, we also don't want you to say well there's been volatility in the markets what's the Fed going to do I've heard mm-hmm. different things. Mm-hmm. I'm reading these scary tidbits of information online or I'm, you know, seeing it on the news. Maybe I should sell my long-term investments and move to a a, a, yeah. a high-yield savings yeah.
0: account. Yeah. Uh, let's cash out of stocks, put it in the money market. At least there I'm getting 3% without worrying.
1: Yeah. That's the st- Where do you go wrong? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where yeah. do you go wrong with timing the market? Um catastrophically sometimes sometimes yeah. yeah because nobody has a crystal ball you, you have to guess right twice yeah these before were, the markets yeah. tank before they go back up so we're not advocating that you move your 401k into a money market fund right. in that account because the the long-term investments are what's going to keep up with inflation right. over the long term right but if you have cash on the sidelines an emergency fund that you want to get working a little bit hard there yeah. are some advantages to what the Fed's been doing, and that's higher interest rates in those accounts. You're listening
0: to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac, along with Steve Ruby, and we're talking about the Fed did not increase interest rates today and what you can do to take advantage of interest rates where they are. And and again, uh, the rates, if you're depositing money into an account that pays interest, shop around a little bit, no question. You may be in one of those well-known local banks that are paying that t- basically taking advantage of you. But consider some other um, uh, nice, safe alternatives, certificates of deposit, treasury bills through a brokerage firm. I mean, we're talking upwards of five, maybe 5.2% on six-month and one-year maturities. We haven't seen this in decades,
1: literally. Yeah. And when the Fed you know, does inevitably lower interest rates in will. the future at yeah. some point, we're going to talk about some predict- predictions that we've seen here recently. Once they lower interest rates, we're going to start to lose some of those benefits that we've seen in these higher yield savings accounts.
0: And and I think we have to talk about, is it time to lock in rates for a longer period of time? Again, this is not your 401k money. This is the money that you you want to be ultra safe with. For uh, When I say emergencies, really, okay, next time the market goes down, you're a retiree, you're drawing on a monthly basis, maybe drawing it from the emergency fund while markets are down, are down, and then when markets recover, replenishing the emergency fund. That's why we say when you're working, you know, three to six months of spending is okay, but when you're retired, maybe a year to two years. Well, that's a lot of money uh, of spending need that you're keeping in emergency mm-hmm. fund. So you've got, you know, fifty, dollars 100000 $150,000 that you want to stay ultra safe with, uh, and fully liquid if you need it. well, okay, maybe you can tie up a little bit of that for six months or a year. Maybe you want to ladder your CDs or your treasury bills and laddering is where, okay, I don't want to I don't want to put all of it away for three years to get that better rate. but you know maybe I'll do a, a third of it for, I don't know, one-year maturity, maybe another third for a two-year maturity, maybe another third for a three-year maturity, separate from the fully liquid chunk. And that way, every year, I've got money coming due.
1: This way, the bank isn't taking advantage of you. You're taking advantage of them.
0: Exactly. And it's not rocket science to do. I I mean, laddering sounds like this ultra-sophisticated strategy. No, it's just, you know, all at once, buying different maturities of whether it's CDs, whether it's treasury bonds, whatever type of maturity you're talking about, but the safe dollars, that you keep in emergency funds. All right. Well, how about some of these predictions that that we're hearing these days?
1: Yeah. So an article from from Market Watch that we read. I, I want to preface by saying that this this part of the segment don't act on people's predictions. Uh, the, you know, when when Wall Street predictions were out there years ago, n- nobody saw uh, interest rates rising. I didn't times. see one. I didn't see yep. one economist
0: say, hey, um, the Fed's going to raise interest rates from zero to five and a half percent in one and a half years time.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, the, take this with a grain of salt. But there, there's some people out there. So, first of all, Brian uh, Relling, he's the head of Global Fixed Income Strategy at Wells Fargo uh, Investment Institute. His viewpoint is that there's going to be one more rate hike this year, but then rates are going to stay higher for longer than the market Currently anticipates.
0: Yeah. Which may be the case. You know, if we see this economy continue to grow aggressively and we don't enter a recession, and right now it looks like maybe we may have beaten a recession, at least in the near term, um, the Fed may say, you know what, we got to keep rates up here a little bit longer um, because growth is still happening and inflation isn't getting to that 2% target. I don't know. We, the Fed doesn't know. And they're smart yeah, people exactly. getting as much data as anybody can get. And it's a little bit of a guessing game.
1: Yeah, it is. And, you know, here's some more guesses. Chief Investment Officer at Nuveen, uh, they said that another rate increase is more likely to occur before any rate cuts. Just like you said, with inflation still above the Fed's target. Uh, Morningstar, U.S. market strategist at Morningstar Research Services, uh, the Fed has done hiking interest rates. Yeah. But the market isn't pricing in the probability of the Fed cuts until June 2024.
0: Yeah. So, we're talking about three extremely credible sources. I mean, Nuveen is in my world uh, the the bond expert out there worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and okay, well, let's listen to that. Morningstar, probably the best research group for mutual funds and investments I, I've encountered. Yep. Okay, let's listen. To These are three very credible people with three somewhat different predictions of what to expect out of the Fed. That's normal. Yeah, you know, you're going to see that because, again, the Fed doesn't know what they're going to do until they get more and more data.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and Morningstar, they're also thinking that after June of 2024, there's going to be anywhere between four or five cuts yeah. next year. And, and
0: that's the one I like, and that, that's where I happen to be at. I would like to see the Fed, probably not before mid-year next year, but the Fed's starting to cut rates a little bit. I think they will if the economy really starts to slow down from everything they've done up to this point, because there is a lag time. Yeah, You know, there is a period of time between what, they did with their policy changes and interest rate increases and impacting the market it takes time to work its way through coming up next why some say it's easier than ever before to beat the market and why we think that it's all a bunch of bunk you're listening to simply money on 55 krc the talk station you're listening to simply money presented by Allworth financial i'm steve sprovac along with steve ruby Hey, if you can't listen to Simply Money every night, very next day, we're going to put it on our podcast. You can listen to the podcast doing whatever you happen to be doing. And if you've got some friends that can use some advice, tell them to just search Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcast. Straight ahead of 643, we're answering your questions about long-term care insurance, Procter & Gamble stock, and more. All right, Ruby. So if you're trying to figure out where to send the kids to college, this is a big decision and you'll be there in about 10 years. um, I will. With your daughter. Thanks for the reminder. It's going to happen pretty darn quick and it's going to be a lot more expensive than it is now, which is crazy expensive. Um, You might want to check out the latest rankings from U.S. News and World Report because we've got a well-known local college that is doing pretty well in the rankings.
1: Yeah, so Miami University, they narrowly kept its its lead as Greater Cincinnati's best institution of higher learning in in this. Is the again, Harvard
0: a, of the Midwest. Sure. The a Harvard good friend of, the, yeah. of mine who went there would call it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, this was the the newly released report of the best colleges list, 2024, again yeah. from US News and World Report. Ah, uh, Miami ranks one hundred and thirty third amongst uh, four hundred and thirty nine national universities. It did go down twenty eight spots since last year. Yeah, but it's still at the top of the list in 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 this area, and the the highest ranking programs at Miami currently engineering and undergraduate teaching programs. I, I was
0: surprised. they're ranked third in the country in, in teaching. Yeah. I didn't know they were well known for a teaching school. I have a little issue with them talking about how they're ranked eleventh in uh, in engineering, or th- I'm sorry, thirtieth in engineering. Because I happen to know through my older son, Rose Holman ranked number one for undergrad engineering 25 years in a row.
1: Oh, look at that. Nice little humble brag that you plug. Yeah. In. <laughs> Good. Sc- I never heard of Rose
0: Holman until he said, after he got accepted to Purdue, he said, I'm not going to Purdue. I'm going to Rose Holman. And I said, where, what, Where, what is that? You got accepted to Purdue. Why wouldn't you go to Purdue? And he said, Trust me, it's the right place for me. And it was. And it worked out. It worked out fine. But this is good, good local news for Miami of Ohio, um, best in the area. So, yeah, good, good for Miami.
1: Yeah, exactly. A couple others on the list. You see, um, they're up eight spots from last year, 142nd, uh, 76 month public schools, and features the fifth ranked co op and internship program. Obviously, something like that is very valuable. Yeah. making sure that
0: program is awesome
1: yeah that making sure that you're prepared to enter the workforce which which this list provides a greater emphasis on just that so it focuses on social mobility and outcomes for the graduating college students you know, metrics like class size, faculty, uh, different degrees, alumni giving, this is all taken into consideration. Yep. But but half of, of the score comes from the likelihood that uh, somebody is going to have social mobility improvements upon graduation. Yeah. So check out the. That's US. a good metric, in my opinion.
0: Well, it is. And, and higher ability, how, how many kids graduating are actually getting jobs in their field? That's kind of the whole point. Uh, You know? Yeah. Yeah. So check out U.S. News and World Report's uh, latest release of the uh, best colleges list for 2024. Okay, so we talk a lot about how you just can't time the market. Give it up. Just let things go as long as you're in the better investments. Hands off is is generally going to make you a whole lot more money. Well, we've got a new study that that's been done and it's from Morningstar and I just got done saying how Morningstar is one of the best research groups out there um pretty interesting analysis of funds that have beaten the market.
1: Yeah, so this is a Morningstar report that was uh, on Market Watch, which is a great source of news but I'm not sure I'm a big fan of the headline. Uh, as as to what they said, because has it become easier to beat the market? Yeah, it's,
0: they're just trying to get clicks.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It shows this Morningstar report that found that supposedly 57% of actively managed funds and ETFs beat their benchmarks in the first half of 2023. Yeah. And this looks at specific style categories. But furthermore, the, the, the Morningstar report calculates that three out of four funds uh, in the U.S. small blend, for example, category beat their benchmarks. That's certainly higher than what we've become accustomed to in yeah. previous years. Yeah, but let's let's just dive a, dive little, a little bit, bit deeper. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, because, okay, 57, first of all, actively managed means there's some person or a team of people at that mutual fund that is buying and selling stocks within the portfolio. That's as opposed to passive, which is their hands off. Mm-hmm. It's the Standard & Poor's 500, it's the Russell 2000, whatever the group of stocks is. Ten years from now, it's the same group of stocks that it is today. So active is buying and selling within the, the mutual fund or exchange-traded fund. Passive is and pick a group of stocks, let them go, no changes. So the argument's always been, well, yeah, you want people buying and selling and staying in front of the market and following trends and everything else. And we've got some work from 1990, but it was Nobel Prize winning from a guy named William Sharpe that says, no, passive always outperforms active and that's what everybody's been and, and then Morningstar comes out with this study saying well a little bit more than half has actually outperformed in this one segment for the first half of this year pretty narrow
1: but it it kind of surprised me a little bit yeah so you you're talking about william sharp and and you know he argued the that the sharp what, ratio yeah the sharp ratio yeah. is an actual measurement of of risk adjusted rate of return that this gentleman came up with yeah and, and he would say that if one group of active managers is beating the market, then it must be the case that another group is lagging behind. Yeah. And when you take transaction costs into account, the average market weighted return of all of these active managers must by necessity be below the return of the market as a whole. Yeah. This is what William Sharp argued. So it this this article that, you know, this headline that's a little noisy from Market Watch comes right. out and says, is it easier to beat the market more now than ever? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people in the industry would argue, uh, no. And I don't care. I just want people to make money that I work with. You know, I, I use
0: any group out there that can make more than the next group. But the bottom line is we're talking about a six-month period, 57%. That's not 80%, 90%. 57% of this one segment outperformed. You know, to, to me, that's that's not earth-shattering. That That's not a long-term trend. Um, it, it's worth looking at. And But like you said, they didn't take transaction costs into account. And and you have transaction costs.
1: And it also honed in too far to just the one little area that has outperformed. If you look at the percentage of large cap growth funds beating their benchmarks, it averages below 50%. Yeah. So you can look at it just as easy on the other side of the coin and and look at the information that that you need to to prove your point.
0: So I I think William Sharpe still has something. I think you should still consider passive investing. Uh, Here's the all worth advice. Timing the market and trying to beat the market. Yeah, it's over time, going to be a losing proposition. Stick to a financial plan that uses historical performance as a guide. Coming up next, the financial considerations needed when older couples get married. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby. You know, back in the day, a lot of couples got married and had kids in their 20s. I I was uh, 24 when, when I got married. And, okay. and some some of my friends thought, that's crazy young. I didn't think so. I thought I was extreme. I, I was more mature at 24 than I am at 64. <laughs> <laughs> I, I At least I felt that way. But, you know, times have changed. People are waiting a lot longer to get married. How old were you when you got married?
1: Oh, geez. I don't know. You put me under the spotlight. Is this a tough question? It is. Come on now. No, I, I, it, let's see. I got married 11 years. Yeah, I was in my mid-20s. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, but I, I'm seeing a lot, of, a lot of people waiting longer. It's not unusual to see somebody 30 and, and over getting married. I have a good friend who's almost 60, got married for the first time. And, and we're seeing this, you know, when older couples get married, there's some pretty significant financial issues that, differ from younger people getting married, and it's a, it's a whole different ballgame financially.
1: Yeah, exactly. So Wall Street Journal covered a 2022 study from the Journal of Marriage and, and Family that found that the rate of first-time marriages for people in their 40s and 50s has actually risen by 75% for women and 45% for men. That's a big increase. Yeah, that, I so, mean, that,
0: that's more than just a, a drop in the bucket. That's a big sociological change. It absolutely yeah, is. And, yeah. and
1: what changes here is, is the money talk. The conversation that you should yeah. be having or conversations, plural, when you're both, plural, when you you both broke in
0: your 20s, there's not a whole heck of a lot to talk about. Yeah, but for me, time- it
1: was she She graduated college with no debt. I yeah. graduated college yeah. with $40,000. De- yeah. Debt. So it's, it's like, more
0: about debt than assets.
1: Yeah. Hey, congratulations. Yeah. You've married into debt. <laughs> I but must I must be worth it.
0: But if you're in your 50s, you, you've you got a career path. You've probably accumulated some assets. And, and this becomes a major issue uh, not necessarily where you need a prenup, um, although that might be a good idea, but you definitely, and I know a number of people that have remarried and, and you know, not necessarily a first marriage, but, you know, it becomes a, well, this is my money, you've got your money, and then let's have our money. A- and this is a serious conversation. You better work out before things get ugly.
1: Yeah, I mean, you and your partner, you got you to gotta talk about what you own, what they own, and how you're going to own things together. Yeah. So a home. At that point, maybe you both already own your own home. So what do you do with it? If you're talking about different assets and liabilities, you you want to cover current income, spending habits. That's typical for marriage at any age, obviously. But older couples, they may have uh, higher expenses such as child support. Yeah, yeah. Alimony, if this is if there are kids involved,
0: yeah, you can absolutely spousal support. You know, might whatever. You know, there there could be a lot of issues that come in into the picture with that. I'll give you one that definitely is something you want to consider: um, social security. I I mean, when when you get married, if you if one of you is a non working spouse, or maybe you worked at low paying jobs earlier in your previous marriage, earlier in your career, um, there's a whole different equation as a married couple for social security benefits and the non-working spouse actually in most cases comes out way better with social security.
1: Yeah, that's true. And it's, it's a great point too, because I have seen situations where if it's a second marriage or another yeah. serious relationship after getting a divorce, you can actually collect on your ex spouse's social security benefit. If if half of their benefit is larger than your full benefit than your personal benefit yeah. than your personal yeah. benefit that yeah. you've gotten yourself or will be getting yourself, um, that benefit goes away if you get remarried. It does,
0: yeah, yeah. But you mentioned something most people don't know. If you were married for at least ten years, mm-hmm. your your ex doesn't even have to know about no, and a- it doesn't affect this. them.
1: It's just nope. more money in your pocket. But exactly. if you do get remarried, so this is a part of the conversation. Have because the you're essentially redoing a roadmap for retirement yeah. at this point. Yeah. It's it's also not only combining expenses, but combining assets and future sources of cash flow between pensions and Social Security. So th- these are conversations that you need to sit down and have to remap expectations to. Where, where are you going to live? Where do you want to live? Yeah, yeah. Not only whose house, but where are you going to live in retirement?
0: You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby, and we're talking about what happens when you get married later in life on the financial side. And and I like that phrase you just used, roadmap for retirement. It's unusual that two people coming into a marriage have each done financial plans for themselves as single individuals. Um, but if they did, you got to redo it again once you get married, because it's, it, we talked about social security. It's not just that, but now you're talking about 401ks. Um, it's generally a lot cheaper to live as a couple than as an individual instead of two mortgages or two uh, rents every month um, you're living under the same roof Um, you want to take a look at the changes it makes in retirement and the most important part of that updating your financial plan is communication between the two the two newlyweds that are older people so what about estate planning Huge this, issue.
1: Oh, absolutely. Huge so, issue, especially it, if there
0: were kids involved from a, a, an earlier marriage.
1: That's a great point. So yeah. at it's most basic. Estate planning means what's going to happen with your assets when you're gone. Yeah. And if if this is a, a second marriage coming together, and you have assets, you have a family with a from a previous previous marriage. Yeah. These are things that you need to take into consideration as far as how to handle beneficiaries on not only your investment accounts, yeah, yeah. but also life insurance policies. Yeah, this is maybe where in in this situation where it's not just a first marriage, but a remarriage, then yeah. this is where maybe we look at setting up a trust to ensure that your assets go to your children, but still supports your spouse if you're gone.
0: Yeah, estate planning doesn't mean, oh, I've got this huge estate and I live on an estate. I've got lots of no estate is just everything that you, you've you got in life, whether it's a lot, whether it's a little, whether it's a, a million dollar portfolio or or just a savings account. You have everybody has an estate. And you've got to get everything in writing, whether it's a remarriage, whatever the case is, um, so that everybody is crystal clear on what your, your wishes are and where it goes. Probate, a lot of people think is a bad word. It's really just the probate court is a judge making sure everybody who's supposed to get whatever you wanted to have get to them gets it. That's all it is, and, and the more you put in writing, the less of a hassle it is for the probate court to try to figure out what the heck you meant.
1: Yeah, that's the key. The more you put in writing, so yeah. sitting down and having that conversation, fleshing out what you yeah. want to have happen with your money when you're gone, when you're gone, and and maybe also if you become medically incapacitated. No for question. Example.
0: No question.
1: I've seen it
0: from a, a really good friend of mine when his mom passed away, um, dad remarried, and the kids at first didn't really like the new mom, okay. and and that's pretty common. And they started thinking, well, what happens now, you know, when dad passes, because he was older than the new mom. And, and we're talking about adults. I mean, these are, this friend of mine, this was not when he was 15. This was when he was 40. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, what happens to our inheritance? Does she get it all? Well, could be, you know. So they talked to dad and, and dad had already set this up. He wasn't going to, you know, squeeze the kids out of, out of the their inheritance. What he put on paper was he set up a trust through his attorney. And what was his before that marriage went to his kids.
1: Got it. My friend.
0: Right. But, you know, the kids didn't know that until dad sat down and talked to the kids. So like in anything in life, especially when it comes to money, finances. um, Yeah, that's a hot button. You've got to have good communication between all parties. Here's the Allworth advice. Getting married later in life. Yeah, it's the kind of scenario where you're going to want the help of a fiduciary financial advisor, as the situation may very well be complicated. Coming up next, we're answering your questions about 401ks, insurance, and more. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovak, along with Steve Ruby. Straight ahead, where to save money on vacation rental properties. You're going to want to listen to that. Okay, Ask the Advisor is where you get to ask us questions, and you do that by clicking the red button on the iHeart app while you're listening to our podcast. Just record your question. It goes straight to us, and that's how we heard from John and Cole Rain John said, I worked for a company a long time ago. I know I had a 401K with them. Once I took a new job, forgot all about it, uh, now I don't know if that company's even around. How do I find find out information about my old 401k? Good well, question.
1: This is a fun little game to play, John, because at the end of it, maybe you find some hidden money that you forgot. Exactly, about.
0: especially if it's been that long where you forgot about it. Maybe it's a you know good chunk of change.
1: Yeah. So eyes on the prize for this one because there may be a little bit of digging. Uh, yeah. I would start by looking for I've an old this. statement. Yep. Yeah, look for an old statement, whether or not it's a hard copy or maybe been emailed to you in the past. Uh, Who held the 401k? Who was the custodian? Uh, You could call them Fidelity, Schwab, Vanguard, and Power. There's a whole lot of custodians out there. That's just a a few of them. Um, Call the old employer, ask to speak to somebody in HR. If they're around. If they're around. If they're not, then yeah, it's locating the old statement, finding who held the old 401k, and, and making some phone calls.
0: Yeah, just because the company may have gone out of business... Your money is actually, the 401k money is at a plan sponsor or custodian, and they, they've they got the money. I mean, they've got a responsibility to maintain that account and to notify you of the value of that account. Maybe you moved a couple times, and that's why you don't know anything about it. But if you can dig up an old statement, that 800 number is going to be your lifeline. Okay, so um, Angela Fort Thomas said, My parents are 69 and 71. They think it's too late to buy long-term care. What do you guys think?
1: Well, there's 12,000 good reasons as to why they might want to consider. Why do you say that? That's the the average cost of entering a nursing home. Yeah, yeah. It's not cheap. No, yeah, it's not. So the the, the problem is, is the older you get, the higher the premium will be on a new long-term care policy. Yeah. So this is something that you're going to have to dig into their financial plan, look at how much money they need to support their financial goals, see if they can cash flow the added premium expense, because that will be high. Yeah, There are conversations out there where you could sit down and talk to a fiduciary financial advisor. And if, if they have old life insurance policies with a cash balance, for example, you could look at that at that and possibly convert it to a, a long-term care policy with some of that cash balance.
0: Yeah. And I, I agree. I, I used to think the sweet spot uh, to buy long-term care was between 60 and 65. Cause you know, once you hit 65, they start getting pretty expensive. Yeah. A- and uh, before 60, realistically, are you going to need long-term care? And then I had open heart surgery at 60 and guess what got a lot more expensive for me to buy? Because I care. Exactly. And I'm still going to buy it. It's going to cost me more, but you know, it's definitely, you want to get the numbers. That's all there is to it. And please start out with somebody who's not selling long-term care on commission. You may ultimately buy it, buy your policy from somebody, but when you're trying to figure out how much long-term care insurance you need, have a financial plan drawn up by a fiduciary and have them tell you, okay, this is the size of the policy you need. Now start going out and shopping. Who's got the best deal exactly that way you're getting good advice and and again you may ultimately buy it from a commission-based insurance agent but at least now you know if they tell you no you need three times that size of a policy well with the fiduciary said no you really don't you kind of know who to believe and who not to believe all right eddie wants to know he recently inherited procter and gamble stock from his dad very common around here in cincinnati Mm -hmm. What's my tax obligation going to be? Very confusing issue for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, it is. And, you know, sorry, sorry to hear about your loss yeah. there, Eddie. That, that's always tough. Um, when it comes to, to inheriting stock, though, that there is, the IRS is actually nice about this. Yeah. Because what happens is there's a step up in basis on those shares at the date of death. Now what that basis what that basis does is it establishes the baseline for calculating taxes. Yeah. Any earnings on top of that is what you're actually taxed on. But if there was a lot of gains, which oftentimes happens with P and G shares that yeah. have been held for for a while, um you are not liable to pay those gains that, that maybe your, your parents or your father would have had yeah, because of that step up in base.
0: So let's back up a little bit. So inheritances in with very few exceptions, inheritance, are not, an inheritance is not generally taxable. So just the fact that even if it was a million dollars, it doesn't matter. You're not going to owe tax on that million dollars of Procter and Gamble stock. If you turn around and sell it, and the price that you sold it at is the same as the price it was on the date of your dad's death, there's no gain. There's no gain from the date of death. So that's what we mean by cost basis. No tax due. Good for you. And that's if it's held outside of an IRA. If it's inside of an IRA, different ballgame. Any distribution is generally going to be taxable from an inherited IRA. That's
1: at your ordinary income taxes.
0: There you go. Okay, Mark from Mount Airy. I know 529 plans are great ideas for college costs, but how about a Roth IRA? Can I use that for college savings? I, I, I've heard this from a number of people. There are a, more than a couple people out there recommending Roth IRAs to
1: fund college. I mean, you can use it to yeah. fund college, yeah. but it's 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 a lot different. So the the 529. Depending on what state you live in, if you know if we're in Ohio, Mount Airy, in this case for for Mark, yeah. you use Ohio's 529 college savings plan, which is BlackRock's College Advantage, and there's there's a deduction on your state taxes when yeah. you make that contribution if you
0: to use ohio's you don't have to use ohio's you don't have to and, and, but and, and to get not, the deduction and, you do and you're not limited to an ohio college 529 plans are extremely flexible you can go to any school you want and as long as the distribution from the money you saved up in that plan is used for legitimate college expenses it comes out tax-free
1: yeah and here's something a couple other things to take into consideration the 529 anybody can contribute to it whereas other people aren't going to be putting money in your Roth IRA. Yeah. There's also higher contribution amounts allowed in the 529 than the Roth IRA. Yeah. So I, I think we're, you know, leaning away from the, the 529 in this situation more toward or leaning away from the Roth yeah. IRA and leaning more yeah, towards the 529. Yeah,
0: I'm not a big fan of the Roth IRA for college. Coming up next, where you can save money on rentals when you travel. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby. You know, for a lot of folks, Ruby, staying in a hotel, not their game plan when they travel. Um, More and more people doing VRBOs, Airbnbs, and there are some decent ways to save some money if you're going that route.
1: Yeah, so first of all, rent directly through the property owner. They're not
0: all going to do that. They're not all going to go for that but it's a good idea if you can find someone who does.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's easy enough in this day and age because the, the property owner, you, you find that through sites just like Airbnb and VRBO. Yeah, That's working directly with them. So that's certainly a way to save money, but you know you gotta be aware that every rental property is different. So make sure that you're reading the, the reviews, ask questions to the owner. Yeah, uh, Is the pro- property pet friendly if you're traveling with one? Do you, they accept credit card or PayPal? If they're asking you to mail cash or use a wire transfer service Eh, a little bit of a red flag maybe pump the brakes on that one
0: yeah but i i I think bypassing the service and going directly through the owner some owners really want to do that they're just using the service as an advertisement uh, for their uh, their place that uh, they're renting out. And, um, yeah, they pocket more cash, so they might want to talk to you about that. That's All a right. win-win. So when is, when is the best time to book? A, a year ahead, the day before? <laughs> you know, I, I tend to be one of those persons. I want to just know where I'm going.
1: So so you book it whenever, uh, as early as you can? Is that what you're that, saying? That's
0: what I do, but I, yeah. it doesn't mean I do the smart thing.
1: Well, I mean, there's, there's risk involved because what happens? Nerd Wallet, they have shared that, the, the medium price, the lowest medium price that is, is four weeks in advance. Yeah. So property owners, they're they're typically lowering their prices about a month out. They're starting to to panic. They're they're saying,
0: you know, Hey, I got to get this place, rented. I, something's better than nothing might drop their prices.
1: Yeah. But the the risk there is that if you wait until you're a month out from traveling, maybe you're not going to find exactly what you want. So this is one of those things where saving money versus being comfortable and not having to worry is a, is a decision that you need to make. But that's why
0: being flexible with your dates, that, that can really save you a ton of money. Okay. That week is booked up, but the week before, if you can take your vacation then instead, maybe 20, 30% less.
1: Yeah, I I, I did my honeymoon in, in Costa Rica during the rainy season, yeah. <laughs> which is literally yeah, you'll save money. half off yeah. because it rained the entire time. What about booking properties further away from, from tourist attractions? You know,
0: I, I rent a place on the Jersey Shore every summer, and if you're on the beach, you're going to pay $2,000, literally $2,000 wow. more a week than if you're three blocks away. Guess what Cheap Steve does? I walk three Books blocks. Books
1: really far out and walks three blocks.
0: You better believe it. I'll save the money every time. Hey, thanks for listening. Tune in tomorrow. We're going to talk about financial products that can do more harm than good, things you should negotiate, and a little bit of retirement factor fiction. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial on 55KRC, the talk station.